Hey, good morning. Good to see you guys here at Grove Central. Thank you for being with us online. All you guys are tuned in. Uh, thanks for being here. I was I was think it's a great way to start our week off by uh, Sunday mornings just coming together. So hopefully Sunday is one of your favorite days of the week. I know it is one of mine. Uh, it's a way to declare that God is God and I'm not, right? That's freeing. It's liberating to know that you don't have to control everything. You can trust God to take care of our needs and to, to trust him to lead the way that he wants to lead in our lives. And so uh, thanks for being here at Grove Central. Thanks for being online with us. So this is week four of the series. It's time. Really, it's a challenge for us to get on track, right? Uh, many times we put off things to the future, like one day I want to accomplish those things. This series is really to say, hey, let's get going. Let's get moving. Let's go, let's go chase those things that have been on our heart for so long. Let's not let, let let's, this year be the year that we pursue, all right? Let's, let's be the year that we change some, maybe some negative habits, bad habits into some positive ones. Uh, let's begin to start things, change things, do things different in different areas of our life. Because we said this, your decisions, right, are going to determine your direction of your life because uh, the direction of your life is always determined by the decisions that you make and the direction of my life is always determined by the decisions that I make. And so let's make sure we choose a good direction and choose the, the destination we want to get to. And every week, part of this series, the, the, the premise of it is it's time to make better decisions. It's time to, to, to pursue the things we need to pursue. And if you're going to have better outcomes, you have to ask, you have to make better decisions. And what helps us make better decisions is asking better questions, the right questions. So week one, the question was what one thing, if it got better, would make the biggest difference in your life? That's a starting point. You don't know what to ever do with every area of your life. If you ask the question, what one thing on a regular basis, maybe a weekly basis, if this one thing got better, what would make the biggest difference? And then go do that thing. Begin to make the, the difference in your life. Week two, we said, am I being honest with myself? Really? Am I, am I really being honest with myself? Let's get honest about why we go to certain things, why we continue to make the choices we make, right? So we can begin to, to figure out why so we can change that. And then last week, we said, uh, what story do I want to tell? This may be the most important question that you can learn to ask yourself when it comes to decision making, when it comes to being faced with different choices in your life. What story do I want to tell? In fact, I told young people, if they will learn to ask this question before they make decisions, they will, have, they will end up telling a better story because they'll realize that the decision they're going to make will be part of the story they'll tell one day. And so let's make sure we write a good story, right? Let's make sure that uh, we ask this question is what, what story do I want to tell? Because the decisions that you make become the stories that you tell, and they'll become the stories other, others will tell about you. So make sure you write a good story, right? Uh, Jesus says this in Luke. Uh, Luke 9, he says, No procrastination. No backwards looks. You can't put God's kingdom off until tomorrow. You have to seize the day. So Jesus' message is if you're going to follow him, it's not about pushing, waiting until tomorrow. It's not waiting until one day you die to go to heaven. It's always about, hey, this is the day. This, today is the most important day of your life because today is the only day you can control. Today is the only day you can actually do something about your life. And he's saying, don't push it off till tomorrow. It's time to do it today, right? So today is really the, the point of the series is what are we going to do with today? Not tomorrow, not, not looking down. And, and let's not learn to settle today so you don't have to drag into tomorrow. Because what happens in our lives is the past eventually comes into the present, right? So if you, don't settle, if you didn't settle yesterday or the days before, the issues of your life and the challenge that you had, if you, didn't, if you haven't settled yesterday's, today's going to be harder to deal with your issues because you haven't even dealt with those. So if you don't deal with today's difficulties, you only drag them into tomorrow. And because many people have done that for a long time, today has a lot of issues because they have all of yesterday's issues as well as the issues that pop up today. And so we have to ask the question, what are those things that we need to deal with on a, on a regular basis? In fact, if you go see a counselor or a psychologist, one of the things they're going to do is they're going to ask you a lot of questions about your past, right? Because they're saying, all right, here's your issues, but where do these issues stem from? Where do they come from? What things have you not settled in your past so that you can settle those so it'll be easier to deal with the things you have now? So why are you so upset? Why are you so angry? Well, part of what's going on now, but part of it is because we haven't dealt with 
the past. And what happens when we don't deal with the tension or the issues of the day, we only drag them into the next day. So the weight of yesterday gets heavier as it goes on with us, right? And so we only drag it on and drag it on when we deal with it. And so today we're going to talk about that. What does it look like to deal with the things that we face on a, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, so that we don't keep pushing off until tomorrow, right? We don't keep pushing on. So I'm asking you a question. What is the correlation between substance abuse and good decision-making? What's the correlation? You're being like, there's not a correlation, and you're right. Typically, uh, there is not a, good, a correlation between people who, who get drunk or people that have um, different kinds of addictions, drugs, right? Typically, when you are under the influence of something else, you don't make good decisions. I, I don't know if you I've, – I've never heard. Maybe you have, but I've never heard somebody say, man, it's a good thing I was drunk because otherwise I would have made a really good decision, Right? It's like uh, typically we don't associate good decision-making with being out of control. Um, and in our lives, we understand that when it comes to, to substance abuse, right, because they do something to the brain. So like alcohol, um, other, other um, um, stimulants that we take, they increase epinephrine, um, epinephrine in our brain, right, uh, norepinephrine in our brain. And, and when, that, when that's increased, it's a stimulant that causes us to be, think that we're, we're supermen or superwomen. Right? That's part of when people drink alcohol. It makes them feel a little more indestructible than they really are because what happens is the stimulant increases that chemical in your brain. You begin to lose sensitivity to the potential risks of falling off a roof or falling off something, right? hurting yourself in different ways because now you're, you're, uh, you're, you're impulsive right? and you, it's a de- decreased inhibition. You're not afraid of things. And we know that when, when people are, are drunk, that takes away their ability to make wise choices. Because they're not really completely there. It's the same thing with drugs, right? Even if they're prescription drugs. When you take a lot of them, that's why in the little labels you read, it talks about not driving cars, causing dizziness, right? Because the chemicals that we take will impact our ability to make decisions. And we have to be aware of that because sometimes in our lives, um, we, we fall into this. We want to numb things. We want to try to escape from things. But it can affect our, 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 our future choices that we make, right? It's like Ron White, White said during uh, his arrest of, of, of public drunkenness. He said, I had the right to remain silent, but I did not have the ability to. So when you're under the influence, you just don't have the ability to make your choices because you've taken that away. You've, you've closed off that part of your uh, decision-making process. You're not aware of it. You're not in control of it. Um, so we get that when it's people who are under the influence. But what about people that, aren't under, that are sober, that are just you know, going through life every day? Why is it that we still choose not to – Maybe we make wise choices, that we ignore maybe the, the, uh, the tension that's in our life. Well, I think that's part of what we want to talk about today is whether you're, well, if you're under the influence, you don't have control of that. But when you're not, when you're sober, you should learn to pay attention to the issues and the tensions in your life because when you do, you'll make better decisions, right? Um, so here's our third question. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? Is there a tension in your life that deserves your attention? Here's a really important question because if you ask this, it'll actually lead you to, to kind of pause and say, all right, uh, when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to the different things I'm facing, if I ignore the tension in my life, I will potentially make a poor decision. The same way a drunk person will ignore the tension in his life or her life, right, because they can't control it, they will make poor decisions and wake up and say, well, I did what? I said what? What how it took place? In our lives, we ignore it. We actually end up like that, regretting things because we didn't pay attention to what was going on. Uh, the Bible calls us our conscience, right? God has given us all a conscience, and our conscience is an eternal tension that always deserves our attention. So our conscience, something God gave us, is to warn us, right? Some experts call it red flag decision-making, right? If there's ever a, po- a point in your life you have a tension, you're like, whoa, 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 I don't know if I should make this, right? I, I sense this, um, 
Uh, maybe there's a, 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 a tension there that I'm not really un- unsure about. You pause, you time out, and you, and you, and you, you, you focus on this. Because when it comes to substance abuse, like alcohol or drugs, we know that it increases that, that stimulant increases the, the chemicals in our brain to, um, be, to, to, to make poor choices. But it also, what it also does is slows down a part of our brain, the, the prefrontal cortex, our, our rational part of our brain that, that helps us to think down to the future. It slows that down also. In fact, um, uh, it's the same part of our brain that causes anxiety, right? So people who maybe they smoke pot a lot, right? It, it, it slows down that part of the brain so it makes us feel less anxious, right, as people are calm. But when you do that with any kind of, any kind of stimulant or drug, it also in, inhibits your ability to think long term. You can't think down, down far, far in advance because it's only about living in the moment. And too many people, whether, even when they're not on, on any kind of drug, we still don't always think long term. We, we, we only focus about the moment. We let the emotions, we let the pressure or the tension in our lives dictate our choices that we make. Rather than saying, well, there's a tension here, let's pay attention to it. So you should always pay attention to the tensions that you find in your life, right? So you don't ignore it like somebody who is, is not able to. That you don't turn off the switch in your brain and just go with the flow when, 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 uh, when, the, when you have influence of others telling you what to do. So in our, in our brains, psychologists tell us, our brains, right, the chemicals, they cause us to sometimes turn our brain off and let the emotions or let um, our desires take over. Um, in the same way, when it comes to decision-making, if we're not careful, we'll let the pressures of others uh, dictate. So we said focalism and confirmation bias are two things that we fall prey to, right? We get so hyper-focused on, on something that we really want that we lose sight of everything else. And then confirmation bias just means we're always seeking uh, the, the, somebody to confirm what we already want to do. Like we search out the voices to give us permission to do things that even are unhealthy. Um, and so when it comes to decision-making, we have to ask the question, what is it that bothers me about this when there's a tension that shows up in your life? What is it about this that, that is, is bothering me or bothering others when they bring it to my attention? I say, hey, well, you should probably slow down there, right? Tension, right? It's like, what, why did that bother me so much? Um, experts call this a red flag decision-making, right? When you have something that bothers you, you should pay attention to that. Like there's a reason there's a tension there so you don't make a potentially foolish decision or poor choice. Uh, Joshua, Joshua Nash, he, in, in an article on, online uh, called Three Red Flags, you're about to, to make a decision you're, you'll regret. He talks about these. One of them is listening to the crowd. He says it like this, because of the pressure to fit in and to please we can find ourselves making decisions that, other, that, that don't align with our highest good. When we make decisions from the fear of being judged and or rejected, we doom ourselves to this people-pleasing brand of decision-making. When we let the peer pressure of others push us into making poor decisions, we fall into this people-pleasing idea of, I'm going to let the pressures of others and what they say. And, and just so you know, if everybody is going down that road, it's a good chance they're on the wrong road. Because typically culture and people don't pick the hard roads. They pick the easy roads. And easy roads don't always lead us to successful and good outcomes. And so Jesus says, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the one that leads to life. So if everybody's pressuring you to do something, that's a good question to say, whoa, whoa there's a tension here. I should pay attention and not just go with, with, the, with what culture is saying. Uh, pay attention and not miss on maybe making a better decision. If I will pause and ask the, the question, why does this bother me so much? Why is there a tension here in my, my relationships, right, whatever's going on? Andy Stanley says, what begins as an uneasy feeling, often supported later with reason. So you might start off just as like, a, I don't really know what's bothering me, but if we'll, if we'll pause and, and, and search it out, eventually we'll get the information, we'll get the insight. But if you don't pause, you'll never see it and you'll make a poor decision. So in our lives, when there's a tension in our lives, 
in the moment, we don't always see down the road, but if we'll pause and ask better questions, maybe pray, seek counsel, seek others, we'll eventually realize that the information there um, will, will save us from something down the road. You know, in my life, when I think back of the decisions that I regret, a lot of times it's because of one peer pressure, a lot of times because I didn't think of the story that I would tell one day, and now, you know, you have regret that comes with it. You ignore those indications. You ignore the tension that was there, right? Um, there's So when it comes to regret, I can see that in my life. I ignored those moments where I should have said, well, there's a tension here. I shouldn't go through with this. And then I think of other decisions in my life that I'm, I'm actually glad I, I, I listened to advice and listened to somebody because it helped me make a better decision. In fact, a few years, a few years back, um, uh, there was a, a relationship uh, that we had with, with some, some friends in the a, in a, in a church. And uh, there was a specific person that was a part of one of the ministries we're leading. And my wife said, hey, be careful. She had one of those red flags, right? Like, I don't know what's going on, but just be careful. For me, I didn't see it, right? I didn't have the information, the insight at that moment. I didn't have the tension, but she did. And so uh, over time, we just kind of discussed what that tension was. And it turns out, I just said, okay, I'm going to trust your instinct. I'm going to trust what you're conscious, what, you, what, what you're sensing, and I'm going to go with it, right? And it's a good thing because the person that, we, that she was saying there's be careful with ended up making some poor choices that impacted her family. And if I wouldn't have listened, it could have impacted our family as well. In the moment, we couldn't put a finger on, like, we're not really sure what's going on. But hindsight, we look back, we said, oh, that was going on. And because there was a tension there that we paid attention to, we made a better decision not to fall into something that would have been unhealthy. Too many people in our lives, in their lives, don't pause when they have that tension. They just go through with it. And they, we lie to ourselves. We, we convince ourselves it's going to work out. Even when we know there's, like, maybe this, like, check, like, this might not be the best relationship. This might not be the, the, the time to do it, you know, and, and we don't we ignore the tension. So maybe maybe in your life there's people in your life who bring up something, right, and it bothers you because they're like, well, you know, you said this, but you're not doing it. And you're like, oh, that's a tension, right? Uh, maybe pay attention to that. They might be helping you. Sometimes we ignore people's advice because of the source. Even though it's right advice, we talk ourselves, well, yes, but if they were better, you know, parents, then I would listen to them because, no, that advice might be the exact advice you need. Don't ignore it just because it comes from a specific person. Be open to say maybe that tension is to help me see something that I'm not seeing. So regardless of where the source is, regardless of, of what, what is causing the tension, our job is always to pay attention and say what exactly about this is bothering me. I need to pause before I make this decision, right? Uh, so there's a story in the Old Testament that illustrates this perfectly. Last week, we talked about Joseph, right? He illustrated the idea of, of telling a good story. Well, this one's a good story also. Um, but there's, a, I think, a point that comes before the asking the self, yourself, what story do I want to tell? It's paying attention to this tension, right? So the story goes in, in the Old Testament. Uh, there was the first king that, that Israel, they wanted a king. And so God picked this, this, this man named Saul to be king. But Saul ignores God and what he wants him to do. And he begins to do his own thing. So God says, I'm going to take away the kingdom from you and give it to somebody else. And not to like your, your kids, like he typically would, that the kingship would pass on to the next generation. He takes it away from his family and gives it to a different family. Well, the family he picks is David's family, and David is a young teenage boy that gets picked to be the next king, right? And so the story unfolds. He's picked as king, but it takes a while for him to get to become king. And so while he's there, he faces Goliath, right? He becomes very popular with the people in Israel because he, he slayed Goliath. He killed Goliath and became a, a war hero, right? And um, just began, began to build relationships with, with people in the kingdom, became uh, Saul's uh, son's best friend, Jonathan's best friend. And in the story, as it unfolds, um, Saul becomes jealous of David because they're celebrating him more than they celebrate him, than, than King Saul. And so he begins to get frustrated and to the point of wanting to kill David, so he begins to chase him, chase after him. So 
Jesus has, Jesus, uh, so David has to go on the run as a fugitive from King Saul to try to escape from being killed by him. And so the story in 1 Samuel 24, it picks up on one of these times that Saul is trying to chase him. So they come back from war, and one of Saul's companions, one of his, his friends says, hey, we found out where David is. He's actually hiding in a desert of En Gedi. And so it says that Saul took 3,000 men with him to go look for, for David near uh, where the goats and where these caves were, right? And so uh, we'll pick up the story in 1 Samuel 24. And it says this, that he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and it says Saul went in to relieve himself. So as king, you wouldn't go to the bathroom in public, so he had to go find a place to, to go use the restroom. So there's all these caves along this, this, this massive part of the land in Israel. So just tons and tons of caves, okay? And it says that he went to go find a cave, and it just happened that David and his men were far back in the cave that Saul chose. So out of all the caves that Saul's going to choose, he's chasing after David. He goes by himself, right, to go use the restroom. And he happens to choose the cave that David and all his men are in. So Saul has, Saul has 3,000 men with him, right? I'm sure David and them, if you could picture the story. And, and as you read the Old Testament, some of these stories are like movies. You're like, this would be a great movie, right? You can see it, the music building, the guys walking up to the cave, just like trying to find a spot, you know. And all the guys, David, they see the men, the army, they're, they're slowly sinking into the cave, you know. And they're in the cave, so their eyes have adjusted so they can see in the dark. Saul hasn't because he's in the cave, and you know you're trying to like stumble around. He doesn't even know, and there's all these guys in the back of the cave, but he doesn't even see them. Just finds a spot to use a restroom, and it says this: that David's men, listen to what they tell him. The men said, "This is the day the Lord spoke of, when He said, I will give you your enemies to your hands for you to deal with as you wish.' So they're like, this is providence. It's like this is God's way of helping you become king now, and so they try to convince King David to kill Saul, like. He put him in our hands to, to take him out, right? And so it says, David, as Saul's going to the restroom, King David creeps up to him, right? He crept up unnoticed, and he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. So you can imagine the men in the back of the cave watching as David creeps up really slowly on Saul as he's going to the restroom. And he goes up there, probably with his knife, you know, and they're thinking, he's going to be king. Oh, and by the way, they're fugitives, so they're thinking, finally, we can be free from running and sleeping in the wild. We can actually go back to living a normal life, right? So they're, they're excited for David to become king. You can imagine all that's going to play out. If you'll just become king, everything will change. And so he creeps up, and on the way there, maybe he changed his mind from, uh, from killing Saul, but he, instead of killing him, he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. And it says that afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. So even the fact he cut his robe, it bothered David. There was a tension in his life. This is a key, key point that the author is making and t- trying to tell us in the story. He was conscience-stricken. There was something in David that says, whoa, there's a tension here. Pay attention to it. Don't miss this, because if you don't, you can make a poor choice. Maybe on the way to crawling there, he's thinking about the st- what's going to unfold. Maybe he thinks about the story that one day he'll tell. Can you imagine this? So King David has his grandson on his lap, and the, grand- the grandson's like, uh, so, so granddad David, tell us again how you became kill- king. Tell us how you went and you, you killed Saul while he was going to the potty, right? You Slid his neck while he was going potty. Tell us how he became king. That's not a good story, right? You would not be proud to tell your grandkids, like, I became king by killing this guy while he was going to the restroom, right? Just not a story you want to live with. So maybe while he's crawling there, he's thinking about the stories he wants to tell. I don't know. But somewhere along the way, he changed in mid-course to to not kill him and just to cut it off, cut off a piece of his, his robe. But it says it bothered him so much. There was something in him. God put in him, God put it in us, that said, hey, pay attention here because something's not right. Your men are pressuring you to kill him, but this is not the plan I have for you, possibly what God is telling him. 
And so after he after he does that, he goes back to the back corner of the, the, the cave, and you can imagine the guy's like, Adam, I didn't you kill him. Like, I'll kill him. I'll go. You can't do it. Your conscience bothers you. I'll go do it. And he says this. David says, um, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hands on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. So essentially, he talks himself, maybe when he's even crawling, realizing, wait, the person I'm about to kill is the person God chose to be king. Why would I put it in my hands to take out who God already put in place? Like if I'm supposed to be next king, but I'm gonna, if I wait for God, eventually he'll get me there. I believe it. Maybe it's not my role to be the judge and the executioner in this. Maybe I put it in God's hands. And it says, with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. So you can see the tension there, right? His men are like, come on, he's, he's in our hands. This is God's way of telling us that we, you can be next king and we can rule. And I think of how this plays out. We don't always have the information when it's happening, but as we learn the story, right, which I'll tell you the rest of it in a second, but imagine if he did this. He would also have set precedents for all his men and for the people to, to, that would want to take his kingdom. The way you become king is taking your own hands and just kill the king. You become king. And then his whole king's time, he would be fearful of people because of what he did to Saul of happening to him. Because you sow seeds that eventually you'll reap, right? So part of that, maybe that's even part of it. He didn't know in the moment, but he sowed some good seeds for even for his men to see how to act. They said that David went out of the cave and called to Saul. Now the story's not over. Now he actually saw leaves going back to his men, and David comes out. And he says, my lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down to him and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. So he humbles himself. He lowers himself. And he said to Saul, why do you listen when your men say that David is bent on harming you? Your men are lying to you. I'm not trying to kill you. This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. See, some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hands on the Lord, on my Lord, because it is the Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. God chose you. See, my father, look at this piece of robe in my, in my hand, right? I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. And that point, Saul's like, what? Where did he cut off the robe? I'm like, oh, there's the piece, right? He's like, here's, here's a piece of your robe, but I did not kill you, right? See, there's nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? Like, why are you chasing? Why does it concern you so much for me, right? You're the king. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. So essentially, David says, I put it in God's hands, right? I, I, I trust him for the outcomes. And because of his humility, he actually humiliated Saul in front of all his men also, right? So now what's Saul going to do? Well, this guy is the better man. Do I chase him now into the cave and kill him? He says, Saul said, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. And then he cries like a baby, right? It's pretty interesting. Um, you are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about um, the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go, go away and harm? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you surely will be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be, a, be established in your hands. So it's going to 
you're going to do a good job as king, he says. So that's a story worth telling, right? You don't take it in your hands and, and become the judge, become the executioner. You trust God for the outcomes. So he did the right thing despite knowing how it was going to end up. End up. He doesn't know how long it's going to take, how, how long he's going to be on the run for, but he trusted God anyways. That's a good story. And the reason it's a good story is because it says David paid attention to attention in his life and didn't make the wrong choice, but he made the right choice. So last week I said, here's a, a skill for better, to tell a better story, make better decisions. Here's another skill. You pay attention to that conscience that you have, that tension that's in your life. Um, you know, young people, I said last week, if you will ask the question, what story do I want to tell? Here's another thing. If you'll pay attention, when you have, ever have, a, have a, something in your, in, your, uh, in your gut saying this is not right, well, this might, this might not end well, uh, this, this, I should ask for advice on this one, right? Is there a tension that deserves my attention? In your life, is there a tension that deserves your, my attention? When it comes to finances, when it comes to relationships, right, in your marriage, is there a tension that deserves your attention? If there is, you have to resolve that or you won't have a healthy relationship. In your finances, is there a tension when you open up your credit card statement, right, your credit card statements every month, and you look at it, and you're like, whew, that thing just keeps growing. That's a tension, right? At some point, you have to say, I need to change this, or you won't be healthy financially. Is there a tension, like you look at your, your bank statement, and you're like, I spent that much on what? That's a tension, right? Maybe I should spend a little less on that specific thing so I can save some more for the future. Um, in your relationships, whatever it is, uh, if you'll learn to say, how can I um, pause and ask, ask why, why do I feel the way I feel about this? Is there a tension that goes on? So when, when, when we do this correctly, right, when there's a tension in our life and we actually acknowledge it, um, when we acknowledge a thought or emotion, it actually weakens that control over us. And when we don't acknowledge it, it actually strengthens it in our lives. So acknowledging any kind of emotion in your life will weaken that emotion. It won't give it the power that it has. It's the same, same idea that when, when you have kids that are afraid of the dark, right? And they say, there's something in my room. And you go turn the light on, and it's just the little coat on the hanging up, but the light hits a certain way, right? The fear of, of the unknown, the fear of something that's there that's scary, as soon as you expose what it is, the fear goes away. It's like, oh, it's nothing. It's just a coat. Well, the same principle is true in our lives. Neuroscientists say this. When you have a fear, when you have some kind of emotion or anxiety in your life, if you ignore it, it only stays stronger in your life. It's only bigger. But as soon as you could pinpoint and point out exactly what it is that you're fearful of, exactly what it is that making you angry or anxious, it, and you, you, it's like you're pulling it out of your mind, like look at it, you realize that, wow, it's not as big as I thought it was. But too few people actually do that, so it stays big in their life. So acknowledging what's going on actually takes away the control over you, emotion, the emotion the control of your life, and it actually weakens it. And if you ignore it, it actually strengthens it in your lives. There's many times maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe you felt down or disappointed, right? Something's going on because it didn't play out the way you, you, you thought. But you didn't, you didn't acknowledge it. It just stays in, in you. In fact, uh, this happened a while back, and um, I guess I was kind of being like a, um, a grumpy person, right? My wife said, what is your deal after a few hours of just me being me, right? being frustrated, disappointed, whatever it was. And I finally said what it was that was bothering me. And you know what happened? As soon as I said it, I felt good. Kind of like I threw up for a second, right? Like just something was bothering me. I let it out. I was like, I felt better, right? It's exactly what happens when we acknowledge what's going on in our lives. Why are we we so angry? Why are we so frustrated? Because inside of me, the emotion was a lot bigger than really what it was. And as soon as I talked about it, I was like, wow, that's really not 
that big of a deal, right? It, it dissipated it. It, 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 we lose, it. it loses control over us when we put him into words and feelings. I think this is one of the reasons David was probably such, such a healthy person and why he was a man after God's own heart. If you read this, the, Psalms that, the songs that David wrote in the Psalms, he's expressing what's there. Like, God, would you kill my enemies? These, these dogs that are chasing me, would you take care of them for me? He's like, he's like stating this all out, right? He's speaking his heart to God, and then it's like, ooh, all right, God, it's in your hands now. And he gives it to God. It's, it's, it's what, what makes us emotionally healthy, mentally healthy, when we can express and we can actually speak about what it is. So some people, they pay attention, right, to the tension. Others don't. And when, people, when, you, when you don't pay attention, you usually pay for it. It costs a lot more when you ignore that tension. When you go and buy something you know you can't afford, but you ignore the tension there that's saying, you know what, this might not be a good thing. You're going to pay extra for it because now when you have to take it back, you lose all of the, you know, the money that you've put into it. We don't pay attention to it. It costs us more in our lives. Um, we have to pay attention. We have to, we have to, have to, have to ask the question, why does it bother me so much? In fact, so if you, um, if you want to be the person that's always grumpy and that people avoid and people don't ever know what's going on, don't do this. Right? Don't put your words into your emotions into words. Don't express how you're feeling. Don't find people you can trust. Just keep it in balled up. Suppress it as much as you can. And people avoid you. And people never know what's going on. But if you want to be a healthy individual, learn to put the, the emotions into words. Learn to put the frustrations into words. Learn to put the disappointments into words. Like David did. And we, and we trust God. Say, God, I'm, I'm feeling these things. The emotions and the feelings are real. But let's talk about it. And as soon as we do, it's like all of a sudden now it's like, oh, wow, it's not really as big as I thought it was. You know, when you don't deal with issues in your life, they become bigger. It's called, it's called the 100-pound gorilla. I don't know if you've ever heard this. You know, and yet when somebody does something to you that just bothers you but you don't acknowledge it, it's, it's like, like maybe a little monkey. But the more you ignore it and the more it bothers you, like the, the thing actually grows. And before you know it, that conversation feels like a 1,000-pound gorilla when it was just a really small monkey in the beginning. You'll just deal with it in the beginning. It won't grow as much in your life. And the reason it grows is because we tell ourselves it's worse inside of our minds. We tell ourselves it's worse than really what it is. But if you'll talk to somebody, and this happened to me many times. I'm going through something. I'm having a, a difficult time in life. I'll talk to somebody I care about, and I'll, I'll be able to express my heart to them. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, that really sounds like I'm just complaining about something that's really not that big of a deal. And as soon as I let it out, it's like, whoa, I dissipated like no longer has control of my life because now it's out in the open for somebody to say, Eric, that's really not a big deal. And I say, you know what? You're right. Why did I make that such a big deal for so long? And many times when I have conversations with others, it's the same thing. They let it out. It's like, whew, that's very liberating because there's a tension there that we ignored for too long and it only became bigger and stronger alive when we don't pay attention to it. So David, the story goes on and it says that David, uh, after this, Saul goes home and, and David and his men keep going on and a couple of chapters going on. Saul tries to kill him again. Saul's like bipolar, right? So he's happy one day and he's really mad the next day. Um, the Bible says mainly because that was a demonic influence in his life. He was ignoring God. And so he was having the repercussions of losing God's spirit and presence in his life. And so he keeps having this, this, this battle within himself of right and wrong. And he kept trying to do the wrong thing. And David kept sparing his life. Another time he spares his life another time. Eventually, the story goes that Saul goes to battle with, with one of the surrounding nations and one of the archers on the, in the Philistine army pulls an arrow and just shoots it randomly in the air. And guess who it hits randomly? King Saul. And guess where it hits him? In a little chink in his armor that was the only part that was exposed, and it, it wounds him. And he's going about to die, and he tells his, his, 
his arm bearer, like, I don't want to die at the hands of my enemies, so kill me. And the guy's like, I'm not going to kill you, you're a king. So he gets his sword and falls on his own sword. And the arm bearer's like, well, great, now you died, i got to die, so he kills himself. It's a pretty incredible movie, right? It's called the Bible, right? So it's pretty awesome. And so it unfolds, but, 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 and then guess who becomes king? David. Without having to put a hand on, on King Saul, without having to do something he would regret and have to hide from his grandkids one day, right? The way I became king was I, you know, he didn't have to hide those things. He didn't have to, he, he could be proud of the story that he was telling because he made wise choices. Um, his grandson ignores the tension. He chooses negatively and the kingdom is split from him. And he begins to lose the kingdom. Because there was a decision his grandson had to make and the wise people said, if you do this, it'll work out. And his friends, the young people said, no, don't listen to them. Those old boomers don't even know what they're talking about. Do this. And he listened to the pressure of his friends, and he made the wrong decision, and it cost him the king, kingdom. Because he didn't pause and say, there's a tension here. This group's saying this, this is saying this, what do I do? You don't seek God. Zechariah, the prophet, says, don't be like your ancestors who did not listen or pay attention when, when the earlier prophets said to them, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Turn from your, your evil ways and stop all your evil practices. So the prophet's telling the people his, his day, hey, guys, <laughs> God's trying to get your attention, but you keep ignoring him. And the same way your ancestors ignored him, you're ignoring him. Pay attention. So essentially he's saying, that, guys, there's a tension here. God's upset because you're worshiping false gods. You're worshiping idols. You're doing every, all the evil practices of the, of the nations around us. You're not representing him well. You're going with, the, with what culture says. You're just going with the flow. He's saying, hey, guys, there's, this is not right. And he says, just like our ancestors told us, if we ignored it, there would be negative consequences, like going into captivity like losing our land, like losing all these things, right? But we keep ignoring God. We keep ignoring him. And Zacharias says, don't be like them. Essentially saying, pay attention to the tension when it's there. Don't ignore it. Don't talk yourself into it. Don't go and find people who can tell you what you want to do anyways to tell you it so you do the wrong thing. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? Pay attention. So the same way like a person that's drunk is driving down the road, and the lights are turning yellow and red. They're going to be slow pushing the gas. They're going to maybe run through it. If you ignore the tension, you go through red lights, you will cause a lot of damage, right? When you ignore the tension, that's exactly what you do with your, with your life. You make poor decisions because you're not paying attention to what God has put in us. And then here's the thing. If you're a Jesus follower, you have an, even, an, an extra element of, of support and help called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift that God gives us as Jesus followers, right, to be our, be our uh, 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 support, to help us understand what's coming. So you don't know what's happening tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen next year, but you know who does? The Holy Spirit. God does. And he'll help us make good choices today that will give us better outcomes tomorrow and in a year if we'll listen to him. So our conscience should bother us and say, hey, there's a tension. And if we're listening to what God wants to do, he'll say, hey, that's not the best for you. There'll be a tension. There's, you can do better than that. You shouldn't talk to people like that. Why do you keep going to those sources? It'll be conviction. It'll be attention that he puts in our life that says, I have better for you than this. It's his way of helping us become the person God wants us to become. And if we're wise, when there's a tension, we'll say, this tension, it needs me to pay attention to this. Needs, I'm going to give it my attention. I'm not going to just go buy it quickly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sleep it up for a night or a day. or I'm going to let some time pass before I give in to the pressure of everybody else. Because it doesn't seem like everybody else is always in a rush. Like, oh, why are you bothered? You should just do it. Just buy it. It's not a big deal. And there's a tension. You say, no, no, I need to pause here. So here's my challenge for this week, all right? Ask the fourth question. 
When you're faced with decisions, is there attention that deserves my attention? Is there attention that deserves my attention? When I was in junior high, I made a choice. And I remember making the choice. My parents would be so disappointed if they found out this tension. But I ignored the tension, and I said, but my friends are here. My parents aren't. I'm going to go with my friends. And I ignored the tension. It's one of the decisions I regret. In your life, when you're making decisions, if you ignore the tension, most likely you'll regret it because it's God's way of saying, hey, slow down. I don't know if this is the wisest choice you can make. Sometimes it's not even sin. Sometimes it's even a bad choice, but it'll be a pause. And then when it is a temptation or it is sin, the Bible says, hey, there's not a single temptation that you can't escape. In fact, when you face something, God will always give you a way of escape. Like there'll be a, hey, there's a tension here. Don't do it. It's not going to end well. It's not going to be a good story. And if you listen to him, you can actually save yourself from making the wrong choice. Because he always intervenes. He always helps us. That's God's nature. He wants us to become the best version of ourselves that we possibly can if we allow him to lead us. So this week, you know, when you read your Bible, when you come on Sundays, part of my job is to create some tension in your life. Not, not to be in a negative way, but a positive way, right? In your marriage. Maybe as I've been talking, there's a tension. You say, you know what? There's already this tension in this, in, in this dynamic in my, my work, in my relationship with my family, with my finances. That's something you should pay attention to, not just go over and, and just say, hey, I feel better. You know, I went to church. It's good. No. You don't deal with the things God's speaking to you. You won't be, make better decisions. You won't become the person God wants you to become. Learn to say, God, I'm going to pay attention to this tension. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus says this, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This word repent means have a change of heart, change of mind. Essentially, it's having a change of direction. You're on the wrong road. He's saying, you're going the wrong direction. Stop. Do a U-turn. Go my direction. Um, there's a historian named Josephus. He tells a story of this, jet, this army commander. He's talking to somebody um, about their, what they're trying to do with the Roman government. And the, the commander says, hey, you need to repent and not do this. Essentially, it means let go of your agenda Right, so he's telling this guy, your agenda to to to, to rebel and to hurt her to fight against the Romans, like let that down, so that you don't kill your whole family because they're all going to get killed by doing this. Repent, let your agenda go, and pick up the other, pick up my agenda. That's what God is saying when He says repent. He says, let your agenda pick up my agenda. The prayer He teaches us is, your kingdom come, your will be done, not my kingdom come, not my will be done. God, I'm going to repent. I'm going to go your direction. Notice why. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is for today. It's not when you die, it's for today. Today is the day that you choose to make wise choices. Today is the day you choose to be part of the kingdom of God. He's saying repent. Have a change of heart, change of mind. Do me a favor, would you close your eyes and bow your head as we end our service today? Maybe for some of you, as soon as I talk about the tension in your life, you know what it is. And what I would encourage you to do is in that moment, whatever that tension is, that you would say, God, help me to resolve this tension. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's some something in your life that health things that you've been wanting to change and do. Today's the day you don't ignore it. Today's the day you say, I'm going to wrestle with it. I'm going to ask the question, why do I feel this? I'm going to put all of these feelings and emotions into words so I can become a healthy person. And then maybe you're here today or you're watching online and maybe your tension is a spiritual tension. God is asking you to go a certain direction away and you're going your own way. You're ignoring him. What I would love to do is if that's you, lead you in a, in a moment where you repent of the direction you're going and go his direction. Lead you in a, in a moment of prayer saying, God, forgive me for doing my own thing. Today I put my trust in you. I'll go your direction. 
That's what being a Jesus follower means, is that we follow his lead. We let our agenda down, and we pick up his agenda. So if that's you, if you're in this room or you're watching online, would you let me let me know? Just raise your hand right there in your seat. I'll call you to the, to the front. See a few hands. God, I repent. I put down my agenda. I pick up yours. There's a spiritual tension in my life, God, that I'm doing my own thing. I'm not doing your thing. Awesome. Anybody else? All right, so you that raise your hand, pray this prayer with me. For the rest of us in this room, would you pray with us? We're not praying alone. Online, if you want to pray this with us, would you pray it also? Would you say this? Say, Father God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to deal with the tensions in my life. Thank you for the work on the cross that gives me an opportunity to know you and to follow you. Today, I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sins, of my choices that have led me away from you. Today, I go your way. I follow you. I choose you. Give me a new start. Give me the strength and the confidence to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate those that raised their hand and prayed online and here.